When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're taking a familiar prayer that Jesus taught us and looking at something a little deeper that may be harder to believe for some of us, especially people who have been through drama. And that's all happening right now. Join us, if you will. Not every Christian prays the Lord's Prayer. I certainly didn't growing up. Maybe you grew up in a church that said it in church or other times, or maybe you didn't. Um, A big chunk of American Christianity doesn't say the Lord's Prayer because Jesus said, don't pray as the heathens who use vain repetitions, thinking they will be heard. Perhaps he was talking about some of the temple worship in the area that he lived in, maybe Roman or Greek temples, where people were paid to repeat prayers over and over again. I don't know uh, what he was talking about there. But he did teach his followers a prayer that they would learn. They asked him, his disciples, teach us to pray the way John the Baptist taught his disciples. So Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. That's Luke's version. It's a little different than Matthew's, but it's the same general outline. And then he says um, something about prayer, which to me is really at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are assuming something about God. Now, it's always kind of bad to assume things about people. You know what they say, if you assume you make an ass out of you and me. But when we assume something about God in our prayer, it's kind of a requirement for prayer to assume something about God. One, to assume that God can listen or is listening. That's a pretty big assumption. And ultimately, that God will do something about it, what we're asking. And that assumes a lot, that somewhere deep down in the mystery of God, there is a goodness there. There is love there for us and all of creation. And we are calling on God for our particular needs or the needs of those that we love or those around us in our community, but ultimately that we are calling on a good God. One of the things that happens to people in trauma, in woundings, of body and soul, is that we lose our sense of trust, the ability to trust and believe that good things are going to happen to us, that good things will happen in the future. In trauma, especially chronic trauma or CPTSD is one of the diagnoses for people that have been exposed to threat, sometimes a low-level threat, but one that is serious for a very long time. 
sort of the hostage situation, PTSD or abusive relationship or whatever long, torturous existence PTSD rather than the one incident kind of PTSD. But the longer CPSD, CPTSD certainly erodes our belief that there will be good things ahead. We become numb, immune to the worst suffering of ourselves and those around us. It's kind of a defense mechanism for our brains to have that we can kind of accept horror and death and our own end a little better when we go into that protective mode. The problem is when we get out of it, when we escape the trauma, when we escape the threat, we still feel it. And that dark cloud of gloom and doom hangs over us, hangs over the whole world that we see. We're not able to look out and see light anymore. And when we look at God, he is nowhere to be found. And if he is to be found, he is either weak, unable to stop the suffering of the world, or he is cruel and evil. Many, many years ago, and I won't say which kid, but I was at a party and with some old friends from childhood, which was strange. I was in my old hometown, went to some gathering at somebody's house. And these people that knew me as a young person, as a kid, were talking to my kids, which was kind of strange when you think about it. And they asked one of my kids what he was learning at Sunday school or what he was learning in church about God. And my kid said, I hate God. Oh, they said, shocked. Why? Because he's mean. God is mean, he said. And I was shocked and they were shocked and they didn't know what to say. They probably corrected him, I think. But I realized he was right. That the God that I believed in at that time, as I was coming back from Iraq and the shattering events of my life, I had lost all sense of hope and goodness and trust and the illusion of safety. All of those things were gone. And I was angry at God, ultimately, angry at my circumstances. And the God that I had presented to my kids was mean and cruel and indifferent to the sufferings of others. And that was really the God that I worshipped and believed in at that time. And that my kids picked up on that is really something. I don't know how else they would have. We present this God to each other and to ourselves, and we wonder why it's so hard to pray. We have to assume something about God to pray. You have to assume that God is good, that God loves you. And the God that Jesus worshipped and followed, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, wants to give you good things. Even though it may seem that he doesn't sometimes. The story of the friend at midnight. One of your, one of your friends comes to you at midnight and you're sleeping in your house. Give me three loaves of bread. I've got a friend that just came over. I have nothing to feed him. And 
your friend is inside and answers, don't bother me. The door has been locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. But he keeps banging on the door. Please, three loaves of bread. That's all I'm asking for. Eventually, he'll get up because of his persistence, he says. Because ultimately, the friend inside the house is your friend. And even though he's annoyed and bothered and tired and settled in and doesn't want to get up, he's going to get up because ultimately, deep down, he loves you. He can't turn off that valve of love. He can't shut it down. He can't turn his heart to stone. The heart of God is not a heart of stone at all. It is human hearts that become stone-like in our indifference of saying, I'll never be hurt ever again. I'll never give in to love. I won't open my life or heart to anything new. It is human hearts that do that. It is not the heart of God. God gets up, gives you the loaves of bread. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then he uses this final illustration. And this is, you know, we don't know a lot about Jesus' life as a child. We have a few glimpses of his childhood. We know Joseph and Mary are together by the time he's 12 in the temple. It's in fact the only line that Joseph speaks in the whole Bible is there when Jesus has disappeared. And he says to him, your mother and I have been searching everywhere for you. It's the only line he says. When he gets the announcement of Jesus' birth and conception and all the tumultuous moments of that event, he is silent. He just accepts and does it. He runs to Egypt and hides this family and protects them and does all these things silently. But there he speaks at that one moment. And we don't know much about him. But here when Jesus says the story about if anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if a child asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If he asks for bread, would you give him a stone? And the answer is no. He says, even if you're evil, even if you're a bad parent, you're still going to give your kid food. So how much more God will give good gifts to you? How much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the gift. Because with the Holy Spirit, you are not alone. You do not have to rely on your own shattered experience. You don't have to rely on your own foreshortened future and sense of doom and gloom hanging over everything. The Holy Spirit is in you and will give you hope. And that is the gift that God will give to God's children. Because at the heart of God, there is love. And it seems like Jesus knew that about Joseph, that if he asked him for something, he wouldn't give him something that would harm him. He wouldn't give him a rock that he would crack his teeth on. He wouldn't give him a snake that would bite him when he asked for a fish. He wouldn't give him a scorpion when he asked for an egg. And God won't do that for us either. God will give you your daily bread 
what you need, the forgiveness of sins. God will save you from the time of trial. This is what God has promised to you. And I think Jesus saw that in the life of Joseph. He saw that in his father. And ultimately, when we love those who are vulnerable, those who have less than us, children, certainly, our own children, but everybody that we have something, um, some sort of influence over, some sort of ability to help, we are showing the heart of God, that the heart of God is one of love. Even though there are clouds and mysteries and smoke and fire and blazing light and all those things, when we look up at God, deep inside of God's heart is love beating for you, for me. And God did not just love the world from a distance, but God sent his only begotten son to become one of us, to die on a cruel cross, to rise from the dead. And the story is not over there. God sends the Holy Spirit so that you and I are not alone anymore. No matter what we face, no matter where we go, what happens to us, the Holy Spirit is in us. You are sealed in baptism with the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God in Christ. And that is what gives me hope. Even when my symptoms of PTSD come back and I can't really see good things ahead and I get anxious and worried and it's hard to make decisions or plan or do anything good. I just want to curl up in a ball and and die. In those moments, the Holy Spirit is in me, calling me to a brighter and better future, that there are good things ahead, that through medical care and treatment, I go to my little group every week, and all those things, the way God heals us through other people, and but ultimately through that opening up of possibilities, expanding our universe to include God and others and love and life, knowing that the Holy Spirit is guiding us into that, that we are not locked away in a prison forever, that the opening of God is the opening to freedom, to new life, to feeling the sun again on our faces, and to knowing that God loves us and gives us what we need. O oh God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through the things temporal that we not lose the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>